Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. And while you're doing that, just want to thank all of you for your prayers and, and everything as I was gone this last week and uh, just a slight bit busy. On Saturday, I spoke at a, at a banquet in Pasadena and then Monday through uh, Wednesday night, I spoke three times at a state leaders convention for uh, Child Evangelism Fellowship in uh, Missouri. And then Thursday morning at 2.30 California time, jumped on a plane, came out here, Jenny picked me up at LAX, drove down to San Diego and spoke that night for a banquet down there. And it was a lot of fun. And at the banquet... Yeah, well, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I'm alive. So uh, the banquet down there was pretty cool. I just want to share with you a little bit about that before we get started in the message. Um, we're there and a great turnout and we're raising money for CEF down there. And on my left, there's this gentleman that uh, I was introduced to and his name's Tom. And find out over the course of dinner that uh, he owns a small biotech company. Um, and uh, when I mean small, it's, I think it's the largest uh, privately owned biotech company in the nation. And he was the first time uh, doing anything with CEF and uh, got to spend uh, some time with him and uh, want you to pray for his ministry he just sent, uh, he, he became a believer in the late 1970s. Uh, he is Jewish uh, by background and uh, wrote a book about uh, accepting Christ as a Jewish person. And uh, just a few weeks before everything going on in Israel, he uh, personally paid for and sent to every address in southern Israel his book. Uh, Two million books that he sent with his own money uh, to explain the, the need for Christ to the Jewish people, his people. And I was like, I'll hang out with you. <laughs> and then on my right-hand side, there was a gentleman in a very, very nice navy blues uh, dress and uh, found out he happened to be the commander at Miramar Air Force, uh, not Air Force, but Marine and Navy base, and uh, was making sure that everyone knew that CEF could be there and put as many clubs as they want uh, on the Navy and Marine base. If you don't know Miramar, that's where the Top Gun crew hangs out. It's 14,000 military down there, and uh, we're putting a bunch of... Uh, Kids, good news clubs down there to share the gospel with uh, the kids of the military. And uh, he was there just to let everyone know, I believe in this thing. And uh, I was like, that's pretty cool. So that was my week. And uh, you can hear my voice is thrashed. And uh, that was more from football games yesterday, but that's a different thing. <laughs> anyway, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we are at starting in verse 14. And if you're visiting with us, thanks for being here. The way we operate around here is we go through a book of the Bible, verse by verse, section by section, every week, uh, standing on its own with its points and, of course, application that God has put in there for us. And so we do that every single week together. When I was looking at this week's section of Scripture, I was reminded of just the different wording that Paul uses about himself and about people who share the gospel um, 
with others. And in 1 Corinthians 3.5, he calls himself and calls those who share the gospel uh, servants, slaves. You may remember that as we went through that. 1 Corinthians 3.6, he, he calls them farmers, uh, watering, but God makes it grow. Master builders in 1 Corinthians 3.10 uh, I lay the foundation as an expert builder, he said. Stewards in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Uh, we were stewards found trustworthy in sharing the gospel. Witnesses in 1 Corinthians 15, haven't hit that one yet, but he says that also in 1 Corinthians, is that we are witnesses. Uh, shepherds in Acts 20, 28, be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, bought with his own blood. Heralds. In 2 Timothy 1, and of the gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. And then, of course, ambassadors in 2 Corinthians 5. But here, in this section of Scripture, we see the word Father. He compares himself to a spiritual father. And he's reminding the church of the important ministries that he had performed on their behalf. And so I want to lay that foundation down as we look at verses 14 and 15 right now, where Paul is saying to them, hey, everyone, I, I, I founded this family here, this church family in Corinth. Verse 14, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. In this section of scripture, Paul gives a, a final instruction to the believers on the subject of divisions that were happening in the church there. And next week, we're going to dive into some of those uh, specific divisions. And he's conscious of the fact that he has been using irony and, and he's explaining that he has not done so to shame the Christians there, but rather to get them to understand that they are his beloved children. He, he was not inspired by bitterness or anything like that to speak as he had done, but rather a sincere interest in their spiritual welfare. So one of the things you need to understand it's just common knowledge. You don't become a father until you have a child. And you don't become a spiritual father until you've led someone to Christ. Look at verse 15 again. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Jesus Christ, I became your father through the gospel. He uses this term that's translated there, tutors. Some of your uh, translations may say guardians. Now, a tutor, in this case, in the original language there, when they heard this, it meant a slave that was in a large household who was entrusted specifically with the responsibility of training the future heir that was in the household. The son, who would inherit all of the property, the mansion, all of the stuff, that tutor would train that person specifically. 
So that tutor is very intelligent. He's a guardian. He's, he's pouring truth into him. He's preparing this heir to the throne for all of his social and financial and economic obligations. And that was the Greek term that Paul is using here. He's saying to them, hey, you Corinthians, you have 10,000 of those tutors. You have a lot of different people that influence you for Christ. But you only have one spiritual father. That's what he's saying. You have a lot of people. And, and you would think, you know, you've got Apollos and, and Peter and other gifted teachers there that had been there and they had heard of, influencers that we like to call them today. Some degree guardians. But there's a unique relationship with the spiritual father, the one who God used to bring you to faith. And that's what he was claiming for himself there because he came to Corinth as a, as a trailblazing, frontier church-planting preacher, apostle to the Gentiles. And by faithful preaching of, as he said, Christ, him crucified, laid the foundation for that church. He's not claiming to be their savior, of course not. He doesn't shed blood for, his, for their sins. He wasn't raised from the dead on the third day. He's not the Savior of the world. He's proclaimed Christ crucified, and that's it. Christ crucified, resurrected as their Savior. But in the unique role at a human level, he had the joy of seeing them come to Christ. Furthermore, we know that only through the ministry of the Holy Spirit can anyone be born again. The Holy Spirit alone can move someone from spiritual death to spiritual life. None of us can do that. And Jesus said that you have to be born of the Spirit in order to enter heaven. You have to be born again by the Spirit. He said that to Nicodemus. And so this is something only the Holy Spirit can do. No individual can do that for you. God saves sinners by His sovereign power. By the blood of Christ, by the resurrection of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's how God's sovereignty saves sinners. But he uses human servants in the process. He used Paul in bringing these people in Corinth to saving faith. He was their spiritual father in the gospel. Now, Paul had many spiritual children. Everywhere he went, he had spiritual children. He uses this image of the father frequently in Galatians chapter 4. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. It's a really amazing image for Paul to be using there. He's saying, I, I was in childbirth with you the first time. And now it seems I've got to do it all over again. I was a youth pastor for quite a few years up in the Seattle area for about eight years. And people graduate 
from high school. They move through your youth ministry. And about, in my mind, it was about every three years, it was like starting new. A new group of crazy teenagers that I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with. And Paul was the spiritual father of many churches, not just the church in Corinth and not just in uh, Galatia, but also the Thessalonian church. In chapter 2 there, he says, you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God. So spiritual father, he deals with them gently, lovingly, He also was the spiritual father of individuals that we see in Scripture. Onesimus, runaway slave. Paul said in his little dinky little letter of Philemon, I appeal to you for my child, whom I fathered while I was in chains. Onesimus, that's pretty powerful. Imagine him being in heaven right now, going, yeah, I'm in the Bible. My dad's Paul. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a neat connection. It's a neat connection. It's powerful. Timothy, he calls him his son. So Paul, by faithfully preaching the gospel, was privileged to lead countless souls to Christ, and in that way, he could say that he had become their spiritual father. So I just want to stop for a second and apply this to us, to each one of us. Have you done this? If you are a Christian in the room today, have you been able to be a spiritual parent? a father, a mother, to lead someone, an individual to Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, you were just the messenger, but you were used by God to see someone changed by the Holy Spirit move from spiritual death to spiritual life. Have you ever had that incredible privilege Man, it is so, I'm going to use my wording here, it is so fun to be assured that the Lord's been working in your life by seeing that happen. It's a joy. It's one of the greatest moments of life. But here's the thing, everyone. It's not just a joy, it's a responsibility. It's an obligation. Every single one of us have been called to share the gospel. We have an obligation then not just to share the gospel, but to discipline because every good parent disciplines. Train them up. It's a joy. Has that ever happened to you? Now, I can tell some of you are like, yeah, you got big smiles on your face right now. 
If not, I just want to do something right now. I want to create inside of you a yearning that that would happen. Is that okay? You can, you can answer. Is that okay? I hope so. I hope every single one of us go, God, in the, in the few months left in 2023 and this next year in 2024, God, use me to be that messenger to lead someone to Christ. Give me the opportunity to see someone cross over from death to life, from darkness to light, to, to say, God, I, I, I just want to be there when it happens. Well, I'll give you the first hint in all of this. In order for that to happen, you have to share the gospel. You've got to share the gospel with people so that yearning, that's the yearning that's inside of my heart for each one of you this morning. Now, I, I want to be used more and more like that personally, so don't, don't think I'm like, yeah, I've gotten to see it, it's cool. Once you see people come to Christ by sharing the gospel, you're so honored by being used by God, you request over and over again to be used more. It's powerful. And wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome here at West Hills Church to have a ton of spiritual babies running around? baptizing them. Discipling them. Training them in their first steps of Christian obedience. Man, I, I yearn for that. I love seeing that. How sweet that is. That's my desire for me and my desire for you as your pastor to be spiritual parents of others. And that first starts with your own family. And how do you do that? Paul explains in verse 16 and 17. You've got to be an example. Verse 16, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and who will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Have you ever watched your children, if you have kids, imitate you? Good or bad. Because, see, children have a way of imitating their parents, good or bad. Researchers tell us that teenagers learn to 
drink alcohol 90% of the time at home and not from their peers. So that's the bad. And my guess is that many of the children's other bad habits are learned in the same way, good and bad. The word imitators there is literally the word mimic, the idea of the mimic, the mime. God gave the same, or Paul gave the same instruction in, in Philippians 3.17, uh, he's, we're not thinking here that he's exalting himself. Follow my example. I am, oh, great Paul. No, he's acknowledging the fact that children learn first by example, then by explanation. So when Paul pastored the church in Corinth, he set the example before them in, in love and devotion to Christ and sacrifice and service. He says in chapter 11, verse 1, be followers of me, even also I am in Christ. Another reminder there, Paul was a good example because he was following the greatest example of all, Jesus Christ. But Paul was also a good teacher. It takes both of these things, both the example and the instruction. It takes both the example and the instruction to bring a child to maturity. Paul sent Timothy to remind the church of the doctrines and practices that Paul had already taught. Timothy did not carry a letter at that time, but apparently went ahead to prepare the way for the letter. And another important thing to remember is that God does not have one standard for one church and a different standard for another church. God does not have one standard for one generation and then a different standard for another generation. God's word is not different here than here than here. It is the same always, today and forever. Now, he works his will out in different ways. West, West Hills Church is different than any other Bible-believing, God-fearing church out there because he has wired us specifically to reach the people that are here. Also, that means that we have to be careful. Because there's a lot of churches that have gotten away from God's wisdom and have substituted man's wisdom into their teaching, and thus they have serious doctrinal differences with a church like us that just teaches God's Word. So he works his will out in different ways, but the basic doctrines and principles are always the same. Too many times, as it says in 1 Corinthians 4 that we already looked at, men have gone beyond that which is written, and it brings division. And so we need to be reminded of that, that to be the example to the family that God wants us to be, 
the example and the instruction must be of Jesus Christ. And then we see in verses 18 through 21 that you also need to be faithful to discipline in the family. Verse 18, now some of you became puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I shall know not the words of those who are puffed up, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? How many of you, as parents, had the wonderful privilege of smushing a strong-willed child's will. I could not imagine being Daniel's parents. No. I still can't. I'm, I can't make that. No. But you know how it goes. You go, where? What? That, that must be broken. That needs to stop. But you also don't want to destroy their spirit. Another way to look at this is something that we have a little bit around here, but not as much as some other areas. But until that cult is broken... Man, you can't ride that thing. It's dangerous. It's actually useless. But once that horse learns to obey and becomes gentle, it becomes powerful and useful. And that's the picture that we see here. Because that, that unbroken spirit which the Bible calls pride, is a terrible thing in Christian life in the church. And I would argue that pride, which is actually the first sin out there, you can become like God if you eat this. That pride destroys everything. It's, it's the yeast of sin. And it had made this church in Corinth puffed up even to the point of saying at one point in 2 Corinthians 10, you know, Paul, yeah, he'll come. He's not going to come to us. His bark, that's eh, just worse than his bike. Don't worry about it. We're, we're pretty awesome. Pride is terrible. And Paul had been patient with their disobedience, but now had warned them it was time for discipline. Paul was not like the quote-unquote, tolerant, modern parent who says the following, this is the last time that I'm going to tell you that this is the last time. Kicking the can down the road. A faithful parent must discipline their children. It's not enough to teach them and be an example before them, but you also need to use, in this case, the ability to break the will but not the spirit. You need to punish the rebel 
you need to punish the unwillingness to obey. And Paul makes it clear, hey, I would prefer to come in meekness and, and in a gentle manner, but your attitude, your attitude makes that difficult. Once again, when you're going to that child and you're trying to correct and re- rebuke and to, to train, if they've got an attitude, it makes it real hard to be gentle. And this is in that contrast in this, this paragraph here is really a contrast between speech and, and power and words and deeds. Uh, the, the arrogant Corinthians had no problem with talking big the way that children often do. But they could not back up their talk with their walk. Their, their faith was only in words. Their religion really was only in words. Paul was prepared to back up his talk with power, with, with deeds that would reveal their sins and, and show them God's holiness. And this section here is preparing the way for the next two chapters that we are going to go through that deal with discipline in the local church and many things that are just as awful today. There was a ton of stuff going on in the Corinthian congregation, and Paul was prepared to deal with it. He had already written them a letter about the matter. We, we see that in verse 9 of the next chapter here. But the congregation had not obeyed. Some of the church leaders had written Paul for counsel, and, and Paul had prayed that they might obey the counsel that he wrote to them. And it's, it's a principle of life that just kind of seems, ha- seems happening over and over and over again. Those who are not willing to govern themselves end up having to be governed. If you fail to obey, you get punished. So Paul had given the Corinthian church an opportunity to set their household in order, and unfortunately the church did not immediately obey. And Paul had to make a quick visit to Corinth and and an experience during that visit that was very painful that you see in 2 Corinthians. He then had to write them a very strong letter, and it was possibly carried to them by Titus. It's not an easy thing to be a spiritual parent. You know that? You're a steward. You are being faithful to the master. No matter what people may say to you or about you or what they do to you, you're going to be treated as, as trash, as Paul says in one section, by the people of this world. And just like Paul, there are going to be a bunch of different times when spiritual children break your heart and they have to be disciplined been pastor now for over 30 years and when I was thinking about this this week my my mind just went to a, a bunch of different situations where people just wouldn't live according to God's way. 
and it breaks your heart. But all you can do is be faithful and true and share God's word and correct and, and train and rebuke, but still you can't make the decision for them. There's some very central applications to this as we close this section today. First of all, this is all built off the premise of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if Paul were here today, I know what his deepest concern would be. Do you know what his deepest concern would be today for every person in this room? He would make certain, are you born again? Have you found salvation in Jesus Christ? Do you know for certain that if you died tonight, that you would be in heaven with the Lord? If Christ probed you and asked you on what basis you would enter heaven, what would you say? If you say something like, well, because I'm basically a good person, that means you're lost. Because that's what it says, that's what it means when Christ said, I didn't come to call the righteous. He went to us who are sinners and called us to repentance. He died on the cross so that sinners could be forgiven. And only by trusting in Jesus Christ can sinners like you and me be forgiven. That's the central issue here is the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing it and being a spiritual father, spiritual parent, sharing the gospel, training, discipling. And once again, as we close, for those of you who are Christians here, do you long to be a spiritual parent? Just have this one last Lasting image of Paul as a healthy, vibrant, productive, spiritual father. And for the rest of your lives, we are going to be sitting, all of us are going to be sitting at his feet, reading Romans, reading 1 Corinthians, reading Galatians and Ephesians, drinking in the wisdom that God poured into him through the Spirit so that he could write that down and share it with us. He continues to mentor, doesn't he? And to train. Paul's unique. There's no one that was like him. We understand that. But beyond that, all of us are called as both Christian men and women to yearn to be a spiritual parent, to lead someone through the use of the Holy Spirit in our lives to Christ and to disciple that person. I think this is a great picture for us, a great pattern for all of us. We lead in our families first, we lead in the church and we also lead outside of the church to every single person we meet. And so that's what we need to be thinking about here today. 
somewhere, more than likely, someone is looking to you for an answer. And that answer is, what is this all about? And it's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And sharing that gospel with them. And being that spiritual parent to them. And that, that should have a lot of responsibility on all of our lives. So that means I, I need to be growing. Learning God's word. Learning how to communicate that correctly learning how to deal with so many different situations that go on in life every single day. And just as a side note, as we close here, for everyone who thinks that this generation is way different than any other generation, read the Bible. Sin is still sin. The same sins are the same sins. We have media and people that are influencers that are influencing from Satan's side. And a lot of technology that makes it blast at 110% volume. But it's the same old junk. And the beauty is, is we have the same thing that brings life in Christ. It doesn't have to change. It can't change because it's the only thing that changes us from dead to alive. Know the word, be in the word, disciple people, and let's all grow together and see a ton of spiritual babies around here. Amen. Lord, thank you for this time.